You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> Aaron Ultraman! Woo! Woo! <laughs> Yay! Ultraman, here he comes from the sky! Which, th- this is really weird for me. I've never seen Ultraman. Uh, for really? all of it, I have been obsessed with Godzilla and Gamera and Demogen and all nice. those wonderful giant monster movies my entire life. Ultraman, because of its shall we say, unavailability in America, mm-hmm. uh, is something that, like, I've I've never really... I've seen a couple of random episodes of the newer shows. Right. But as soon as you were posting on your Facebook that this happened, I was like, I'm buying them all. <laughs> just instantly, just like, I'm, I'm in. I'm in the whole set. And, and that's really gratifying to hear because for years... Oh, by the way, I'm Matt. Oh, yes, I'm Aaron. Yeah, we're... Uh, you may have heard us on our Godzilla episode, and uh, we're literally rolling directly... Into uh, Ultraman and Ultra yep. Q. And this is my uh, second of three hour-long podcasts in a row, which uh, if you listen to me over at Digital Noise, which is where I normally appear, yep. this week's episode is going to be fun because I will be tired oh. uh, and loopy and probably weird, which is always more fun than when I'm not weird. Of course. Oh, wow. There's actually a film on this. I didn't know this is... Huh. I'm like <laughs> discovering things about my Ultraman box set so, as I unwrap Matt, them. <laughs> yep, Matt just literally did the uh, pull in the clear plastic film back for the first time on his Ultra set. It's uh, one I got would to say the unboxing. It's it's very uh, sensual. Yes. Um, I actually I have the uh, the Steelbook editions with me right now, which I actually will say. Uh, are a little harder because the uh, uh, y- they're harder to get the disc out of. <laughs> well, and so I, I got the non steelbook variant, okay. and I'm actually happy about that okay. because I don't know. Have you seen them? Yeah. The, so, okay. Oh no, I have yeah. those versions too. <laughs> uh, oh my god, you're such a nerd. Yes, and <laughs> so, so, so the non steelbook ones, uh, they set it up to where the series is going to form a picture. Uh, so it's like a single spine next to each other. The only thing that weirds me out is I saw the upcoming Mill Creek releases for Orb and Geed? Geed. Geed. Yeah. And they, Took me years to get you back. Get they that. don't have that same format. So I'm kind of curious uh, to see which Mill Creek releases qualify for the ultra set and which ones are just we're putting them out to. I have a feeling that the uh, Steelbook is... Steelbooks are at the very least going to be Ultra Q, Ultra Man, and Ultra Seven because those are the first three. Uh, they're the the triumvirate. They're the triangle of the original Ultra series, and then uh, possibly at most, I I imagine it will be the first six series, which is Ultra Q, Ultra Man, Ultra Seven, and then the Return of Ultra Man, and then Ultra Man Ace and Ultra Man Taro, uh, because those are. Those are the first six, and uh, the one after that is Ultraman Leo, which sort of represented a shift in the original Showa timeline. Uh, not that it's a bad series. Ultraman Leo actually has a lot of really good stuff in it. But 
so quick quick context. I need to talk about the Ultra series itself. Now, for you longtime listeners, you probably heard uh, the episode that me and uh, Toshi talked about, our, our buddy Toshi Nakamura, who was just like... Uh, he basically uh, screamed at me until we did an episode on Ultraman, and then we did it. Um, he grew up watching Ultraman Taro, which is uh, always reminds me that uh, Toshi's a lot older than he looks. Um, <laughs> he's got that he's got that obnoxious Japanese baby face. Oh, so, look at him! He's all good looking and youthful, and ten yeah, years older looks than like me. Twenty, and he's in his forties. God, it drives me up a wall. But yeah. Uh, anyway, so some of you might remember that, but but give, to give y'all the basic lowdown Ultraman was or and by extension the Ultra series which really began with Ultra Q uh started in 1966 and it was the it was the big project by Superaya Productions and Superaya Productions was started by Eiji Superaya who was the special effects artist a special effects director I should say on a bunch of Toho features Godzilla Mothra Ro- Basically, if there was a Toho uh, production from the 50s, God, even before the 50s, he worked on a bunch of war movies before that. Anything Toho did, he did the effects. Pretty much, or at least supervised or directed or was oversaw in some way until the early 70s when he passed away. I believe he passed away in 69 or maybe 1970. It was... um, a real shame because he he unfortunately passed away a little too young, and uh, a, a lot of the people who were working on this genre really owed it to him. They really um, like a uh, rumor has it that Haruo Nakajima, who played Godzilla as well as a number of characters in Ultraman, uh, almost lost the will to live. Certainly lost the will to work. He, you know he had to be coaxed back by Toho because they were like, "We can't do this without you." And which was what Tsuburaya had told him years ago. He, uh, Nakajima had been uh, courted by American productions to go do monster stuff over there. And Tsuburaya was like, we can't do this without you. You're the man. <laughs> and by and and by that extension, um, Tsuburaya's influence was even felt in other studios like uh, Daiei, who was doing Gamera and Daimajin. And, uh, I didn't realize Daiei did Daimajin. Yep. Uh, interesting uh, sidebar. But the music was by Ifakube. I did not know that either. Yeah, you're learning shit. <laughs> now I gotta rewatch those. They're so good. So <clears throat> to to do to again to give a, a, another a bit more history. Ultra Q came out. It was a big hit. It's very much a Twilight Zoney sort of outer limitsy thing. Uh, I believe it was going to be originally called. Uh, Outer Q, huh. uh, or maybe it was called Ultra Limits. I don't remember, but it was a very much an anthology kind of series, although there are recurring characters. And then that led into Ultraman, which was their first uh, Super Eye's first which color series. Directly into it, because the title screen on Ultraman even still says Ultra Q. Right, it, 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 and it's a base. It's literally Ultraman bursting out of Ultra Q. Yeah. It's like, haha, we're in color now. <laughs> uh, there are colorized versions of Ultra Qs in like have been released in Japan uh, in the last couple of years, Holy, which is that really be, that would be interesting to watch. It would be because I feel like the um, the black and white really works for Ultra Q. But then again, it works for King Kong, and you know there are colorized versions of that, so to promote you will. That being said, I wanted to go into a little bit. So Ultraman's been around for Ultraman's been around for decades. It's been around for over fifty years, and 
it just recently celebrated its 50th anniversary. We're coming up on the 65th, a uh, 50th, 55th. Um, or maybe it's already happened. I don't know. I don't have time to do math, but they they're still making Ultraman series. They just uh, their current series right now is Ultraman Taiga, which, which is what well, I, I was gonna say. Which clearly is significantly more complex too. Oh uh, yeah. After watching these uh, the Ultraman, uh, oh yeah. I went and it was like I'm gonna go check out the Ultraman Reddit, mm-hmm. and they started talking about the multiverse and how there's like five different universes that mm-hmm. happen and they wrap on each other and this Ultraman crosses into this one and I sat there going having only watched Ultraman. Uh-huh. And that is it. Just like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, like, Ultraman Taiga is the son of Ultraman Taro. And he's teamed up with Ultraman Fuma, who is from the planet uh, U... No, U-40. No, Ultraman Titus is the one from U-40. And he's... That's a series where the anime Ultraman came from in the 19... Uh, the, or in the 1970s, uh, which, is a, which was an anime made by the same studio that went on to make Gundam, Sunrise. Okay. <laughs> anyway... The reason why it's taken us this long to get these Blu-ray sets, and I wanted to go into this just a little bit. Oh, this is a fun story, actually. Yes, it I, is. I know, like, a, a scoonch of it. Yeah, it... I it, got it, while I was researching this. Sure, sure. I mean, it's the high-level details are... It, not that... It, you know, it's it's not that hard to grasp, but once you get into the nitty-gritty of it, it starts getting like, you have to keep track of his names, and... So, basically, uh, this is not the first time we've had Ultraman and Ultra Q out on the... Available in the States, um, I mean, certainly Ultraman was broadcast in America back in the 60s, and it was a big hit. But thereabout in the 90s, when there were some attempts being made to bring Ultraman internationally, bring out Ultraman internationally again, um, I believe it was Noboru Tsuburaya, who was one of the sons of Eiji Tsuburaya, was one of the grandsons, I'm... I'm sorry, guys. I'm getting... This is where you start getting... getting all Keeping all the Tsuburayas straight tends to be a bit of a challenge. But basically, the then head of the company passed away. I believe that was Nomori. Uh, they uh, then received a notice from a man named Sompote Sans, which is his director professional name. It's not his given name, but I'm not going to attempt pronouncing his original, his actual given name. But... Um, Sampode was a filmmaker from Thailand. Yes, okay. I, I was thinking this was the Thailand. This is the Thailand, Thailand guy, sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you know where I'm going with yeah, this. Yes, I do. Uh, he ran a company called Chayo, and Chayo uh, actually co-produced an Ultraman movie. Uh, it was Hanuman versus the Six Ultra Brothers or something like that. Five Ultra Brothers, who remembers? Basically, Hanuman is, of course, a, a uh, religious figure in Asia. Um, he's, he's the basis for the Monkey King. He's a monkey god in Hindu mythology, I believe. Okay. Um, and they made this movie, and there's actually some pretty impressive effect shots, but for the most part, it's pretty bad. Um, but it was an official co-production, so he was an official Ultraman director. Well, what they didn't really... I don't think what anybody quite put together was that Sh- Sampode really, really, really likes Ultraman. Like, like, really, really likes Ultraman. Well, Ultraman is huge in Thailand, I believe. He's huge all over Asia, but, like, <laughs> Thailand and Indonesia and that whole area, yeah. Southeast Asia, is, he's big. And, um, it's so frustrating because you have this opportunity to make uh, these international Ultraman because they've, Super I is open to that. There's an Australian Ultraman. Yeah. 
There was an attempt at an American Ultraman back in the 90s for Ultraman the Ultimate Hero, which is a bad series. Um, it's a terrible title. Yes, it was never released in America because it was so bad. It was released on Japanese Laserdisc and Japanese Blu-ray only, to my understanding. Oh. Um, and they actually, there actually is a Malaysian Ultraman. His name is Ultraman Ribut, which means storm in Malay. So he's a pretty interesting character. He fights entirely with a Southeast Asian fighting style. Oh, that's and interesting. That's, that's your little yeah, yeah. tidbit. Anyway. the weeds. <laughs> sorry, we're getting into the weeds. You're right. Uh, so when um, the Superaya, who I believe was Noboru, passed away in the 90s, Superaya received a letter from, Chai, uh, from Chayo by Sampote, or at least signed by Sampote, that said, oh, by the way, before he died, uh, he gave me international distribution rights to Ultraman. See, was it that he claimed it? My my read was that basically due to fuzzy terminology on contracts, he, he kind of manipulated his way into being technically declared as. That is more, you would more or less have the right of it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty sure. of it. Um, I, I, again, I don't want to speak out of school, but that's the long, the short of it. And it's widely alleged that he did forge a lot of the documentation or someone did who worked for the company. There's even a, a Hanko on it, which the Hanko is the stamp that if you want, I'm not influential at all in this community. So just like text me while we're recording what to say. I can tell the stories, pretend I did the research myself. Yeah. You're still on my show, bro. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, anyway, the, so the Subaraya uh, tried to fight it, and unfortunately, it didn't go well because the Hanko was still considered legally binding in Japan, or well, at the time it was, even though Hankos are actually really, really easy to forge. So, as a result, they lost the they lost the international distribution rights for those first six series. Now, that was again Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra Seven, Return of Ultraman. Taro, uh, Ace and Taro. Okay. And those are the bread and butter of the franchise. Like, that's where all, that's like, that's like not, suddenly not having the Showa Godzilla movies okay. in your, to your, at your disposal. So, uh, Tsuburaya was able to, we were able to bounce back. That was about when they created Ultraman Tiga, which was their big hit in the 90s. That was the big revival for Ultraman at the it time. It was their Heisei Ultraman, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, they managed to power through for a long time, but, for whatever reason, uh, Subaraya fell on hard times in recent years. They've managed to claw their way back out of it. They were no, they were declared no longer insolvent a few years ago, and uh, so you know now they're, produ- they're back to producing like full full Ultraman series. Although they're not doing fifty episodes like they used to, they're down to like twenty five, which is a nice digestible I, chunk. I'm okay with that. I appreciate the shorter series length. It, it lets them go in with a. We have this predefined story going in. We know what we're going to do. There's as little filler as we possibly can in this kind of a format. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. Like you, you get in, get out. I mean, personally, I actually like episodic <coughs> Ultraman. I like I like an episodic Ultraman series that has a very light through line because I really like uh, when an Ultraman episode really stands out. Fair. When it's like it's like a little mini movie. Yeah. And that was what Ultraman really kind of started as. Ultra Q by extension, they were these mini films because. Subaraya was looking to uh, corner the television market with the format that they really cut their teeth on of the Godzilla movies. But uh, when it comes to these Blu-rays, um, so a few years ago, or uh, quite a few years ago actually, we got Ultraman, Ultra Q, and Ultra 7 on American DVD. 
I only knew about Ultraman. Like, yeah, I remember they, when that hit. And yeah. That's the transfer that I already owned. Right. And that I've had, like, sitting in my collection for a while that I think, like, maybe six months ago I started introducing my son to. Like, right. very lightly. Yeah, and, and exactly. That's the set that um, has the incomplete English language versions yes. on it because – so – those DVDs are essentially bootlegs. They are second-generation copies from Japanese DVDs, uh, which is mind-boggling to think, but because what happened was Chaya was able to diversify, and they s- essentially licensed out the rights to Ultraman to a Japanese company, which then <laughs> licensed it to Americans, or licensed it to Shout Factory and stuff. So... Which again, it just it it's insane. It's it's why I keep going back to the fact that intellectual property law, especially when you start talking about across country lines, mm-hmm. is fascinating. Oh yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I remember a friend of mine saying like uh, a friend of mine was on a train in Japan, and he said he started talking to a guy who said, "Oh yeah, I've got the, my company has the rights to Ultraman." He's like, "Really?" And he got the guy's card and he showed it to me, and I'm like, "Oh." Those are the guys who got it from Chayo. Yeah, don't work with them. <laughs> you will probably be blacklisted from working with Superaya. Uh, so, a couple of years ago. Now, now this is, again, this might not be 100% true, so bear with me. But as I understand it, when Warner Brothers was making Ready Player One, they approached Superaya. Or they approached, they were trying to figure out who has the rights to Ultraman. And all, basically all that happened was they were like, oh, it's in dispute right now. We're not going to bother with it. Which is a slight sidebar. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest frustrations with Ready Player One, which it's okay. It's decent. <laughs> I like the live action stuff more than the CG world stuff. Yeah. Spielberg is a great director. Sure. But they use Gundam instead because clearly they couldn't get it. Yep. But they still keep the damn time limit. Which is yeah. so iconic to Ultraman to where every time they do that, like, my, my right eye just kind of twitches a little bit. Because I'm like... You get that looked at. I'm like, Gundam doesn't have a time limit, man. It's a robot. You can just do whatever for as long as you want. You can live in it. I, <laughs> I, uh, apparently, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Japanese fans were not crazy about how Gundam was represented. I, because there's something... Really? I know. To, to Fancy that. Shocker. <laughs> Well, apparently Gundam was like, it didn't move right or something. There was something about it they didn't care for. But the long of the short of it is that to finish this 20-minute long story, uh, Subaraya was apparently like, all right, screw this. And they were like, they were like, oh my God, we missed out on this giant marketing opportunity for Ultraman to have been part of this huge American film release by Steven Spielberg. We're taking these guys to court. So... The, the the concern for a long time was, and again, this is you know, I'm just I'm just saying, this is just what I've been told. The concern for a long time was that if they went to an American court and took Chayo to an American court, there was a ninety five percent chance they could win. But that five five percent chance they could lose it all. If they yeah exactly, if they lost, that would be it. They would never be no recovering. So because I mean, all the, the the courts in the world tend to just go with whatever America says. They went in, they won, they got Ultraman back, and that's why we have these nice Blu-ray sets. That's why I never thought I'd say this before, but uh, thank you, Ready Player One movie. I really appreciate what you did. I really hope that that is the the actual time on the event, and I'm just talking out of my ass, but that's just, that's based on what I've been told. Um, But yeah, totally. I, uh, so let's, again, we've talked about this shit for 20 minutes. Let's talk about 
Ultra Q. Now, right have you watched any of this yet? No. That's so, okay. So like, uh, you so have children. Yeah, just to explain, uh, I have children, and at the same time, I had a relatively large stack of digital noise titles as well. Nice. So, and then we decided to do this in the Godzilla episodes. I, I had this sit-down moment with my wife on Thursday of last week where I was like, okay, honey. Yeah. So I want to do all this recording in a week. And I have like six movies and 20 episodes to watch. I'm going to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, good on you, man. <laughs> I, I'm. It's nice you were able to sit down and have that conversation because, I mean, I don't even have kids. My career is my kid. And I'm. Uh, it's hard enough for me to make time hey, for this that, crap. That's valid. Your, your career pays the bills and keeps you in a house. <laughs> it Ish. doesn't, though. Ish. Ish. <laughs> it, it, it pays for me to have a place to keep all my action figures. There we go. Um, <laughs> So, um, Ultra Q, as I had said earlier, was essentially this, um, oh, oh god, real quick, I have to make a quick sidebar. I know, I'm back out in the weeds, but I read a friend of mine, uh, Chris, who runs, uh, he runs the Kaiju Kingdom podcast, if I remember. Yes, he runs Kaiju Kingdom. Chris Eaton, he has one of the only copies in existence of the Sampode Sans, like, biography book. Oh, wait, wait, is this the one filled with, like, pictures and outright lies? And... Well, it's a bunch of, like, it claims that he created Ultraman by showing Eiji Tsuburaya photos of one of the giant Buddhas yeah. in Thailand. Yeah, this. And there's no credible documentation to back that up. It's a bunch of doctored photos. And it's so fat. And, and the way Chris puts it, it is the diary of a madman. It's the diary of someone who, it's almost like... Like a little bit, a little bit single white female, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, like this guy was clearly obsessed with Superia and obsessed with Ultraman. Um, and I, I, it's such a shame because apparently he's a super nice guy. <laughs> so take that what you will. Crazy people are nice too, isn't that? So Ultra Q, Ultra Q. Thank you. So as I was saying, it was a, basically an attempt to create short films for television audiences. So you have these little half-hour monster movies, these half-hour science fiction films. Um, the film stars... Uh, film, sorry. The series has three main characters that are recurring, and uh, they are Kenji Sahara, who is a major recurring actor in a ton of kaiju movies. He's the... I believe he is the actor who has appeared in more Godzilla movies than any other actor. If you're watching a show on Godzilla movie, there's a good chance he's in it. I think I know who you're talking about. He's the... He's the boyfriend who creates the thread. He creates the wire in King Kong vs. Godzilla. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah. And he's also the main character in Rodan. Uh, he's the main character in The Mysterians. Uh, <coughs> he's in a lot of stuff. And he's been in quite a few Ultraman productions and Ultra productions. But he's, like, the main character in this. Um, there's also Hiroko Sakurai, who would go on to be Fuji in Ultraman. And um, you know what I'm talking about, right? She's the she's the girl. Yes, the girl. Yes. Sorry, like uh, I'm I'm throwing a lot of Japanese names well, out there. Well, right now. Like Ultraman, all the characters are defined in archetypes. So mm -hmm. it's it's the girl character, and it's the inventor, and it's the funny pudgy guy. <laughs> and so like I I know that, and if right. they refer to each other, I'm like, okay, I know who you're talking about. But right. Beyond that, no. It's it's fine. I mean, it's a lot to digest. Uh, I'm I'm just so I'm just so mired in this stuff. You're in it. Uh, but Hiroko Sakurai, I love her character in the show so much. She's Fuji's. <sighs> She's actually my favorite character in Ultraman. Now I, I will. That's great. Uh, if but if you watch, get around to watching Ultra Q, you're gonna love her even more because that's, cool, cause um, that's good because 
I liked it for the fact that it's a 60s era show where there is a woman who actually does stuff. Granted, there is some prerequisite sexism that exists. Yeah, uh, like the Pearl episode. Yep. Yeah. Oh, mm. God. The Pearl. That's we're we're, we're going to talk about that in a bit. Well, that one is reason. so interesting because she actually but, has agency in that. But, it's just based around a really sexist yeah, idea. <laughs> but, like, she does have agency. She is respected beyond to a certain point and she does participate and help people in that show so it was of course like her she's part of the team and yeah. and that's what's so interesting because in ultra q she's not a fighter she's a reporter and she's just a photographer oh there's so, no there's no science patrol in so ultra q in my head this is like so i'm learning about ultraman as i'm watching the show sure i just i love the genre right um and in my head ultra q was this exact set of characters, everything, just without Ultraman. And nope. so I, I spent the entire Ultraman show going, I'm really intrigued to see how they fight the monsters because it's such a big part of it. Yeah, no, there's no there's no science patrol. There's no uh, super weapons. I mean, there's kind of like special sciences they kind of invent on the fly to fight the monsters because they have like friends who are scientists. Like there's a super scientist they know and stuff. But... No, they're just these three regular people, Kenji Zahara and uh, his co-star, who plays his assistant pilot, uh, Yasuhiko Sajio, who was a supporting actor in a couple other films like Son of Godzilla. Um, he, uh, The two of them are just pilots, and Hiroko Sakurai is just a reporter who essentially contracts them to take her places. And she has a, she's a really interesting character in this show. My favorite scene is uh, there's an episode where... Uh, there's a special super train that's been invented that'll go all the way across Japan in like an hour or something. And there's a running gag where she is with all these other reporters and they're following around this guy who's like a spokesperson for the company that created the super train. And he keeps pausing for applause every time he makes a statement. And it gets to the point where they've done it so many times, Hiroko Sakurai and the rest of the reporters are just staring at him. And she just starts sarcastically clapping so that everyone else will clap too because the guy has waited too long. And it's so funny. And again, she just she's a, she's a great actress and a great character. And honestly, as much as I love her in Ultraman, Ultra, Ultra Q is better. It sounds like a more complex show it's a considerably more mature and complex series also shout out my buddy sojiro i didn't know this my buddy sojiro uchino in japan he's in an episode what he's a kid in one of these episodes <laughs> one of the random children who shows up he's actually in the episode with pagos which is um i'm trying to find it in this uh, little they included this really nice little um guidebook that oh, has different monsters and you've got yours ready it's to essential. go so like i've been watching this with my son and he keep at, he keeps asking what the monsters are and what's going on and i i'll be like hold on let me pull up my handy guidebook and oh that is zumbalar that is <laughs> antlar and so. yeah that's fun that's fun i can't wait for your son to start looking for ultraman toys uh it's gonna be fun uh yeah he uh sojiro was in episode 18 <laughs> the rainbow's egg uh and uh, which is the episode with Pagos, who is a monster built out of the Baragon suit. Oh, there's a lot of Toho monsters that appear well, in this. There's a few Toho monsters in this one too. Uh, his favorite thing to do right now is to take this guidebook and he just flips through it uh -huh. and starts calling out what because he he doesn't know that they're different monsters, right? So he just like that's Godzilla. That's right, Gigan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That is really cute. Uh, I, I See, that's one way that I've actually introduced a lot of young people to the genre. 
is it's a, a very uh, utilitarian approach where you're you're basically showing them how the sausage is made, yeah. and that becomes part of it. Is the 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 um, sometimes your suspension of disbelief can only get stretched so far, especially if you're a kid in a modern American audience. And uh, so one way I was able to do it, like I showed my little cousins uh, destroy all monsters uh, for uh, over Thanksgiving break a few years ago, and. Uh, we we watched the show monsters and at first they were kind of laughing about it, kind of making fun of it. And then I started explaining to them like, oh no, like the Godzilla suit, it's a hundred and fifty pound suit, and the guy could uh, Nakajima could only wear it for like maybe ten twenty minutes at a time before he would pass out from heat exhaustion. And that really kind of puts it in context for how how difficult it is to make these movies because you don't have computers. Well, it, the thing that I've struggled with a lot with this genre. Yeah. Is, it's something that I think a lot of us get into when we're younger, and a lot of us fall out of it because they're weird and goofy movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've come to a point where it's okay to laugh at it. Like, like, like there is a certain amount of yes, I acknowledge this is cheap, and like especially when you get into Ultraman, at least yeah, it's very early Doctor Who, where like, oh look, that spaceship is two plates that are glued to each <laughs> other, and you can tell. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it, it's okay to laugh about that. It's part of the charm. Like it, that, it's, it, it's very hand-built. Yeah, it's that handcrafted, like, man, they really went for it. You know, like, I, with an American or a Western production, there's a lot of, like, cringe to it because they're so self-conscious about how realistic does this look. Yeah. With the Japanese, you don't really care. There's a there's a reveling in the artificiality Although, of it. There is another hallmark of this being Japanese that definitely took me for a loop, which is, at least with Ultraman, it is randomly extremely violent. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like, for instance, Wait until you get into the later stuff. Oh, boy. The episode where the Godzilla uh, suit was reused, it's it's this dinosaur, mm. and it has this, like, fan around its, its neck. It's a big frill, yep. And... That's Ultraman just straight up rips it off. And like Big bloody bloody gash. And then like when it dies, it dies slow and hard and sad. Um, and then Ultraman kind of looks sad about it too. And he goes, he lays the frill on his like, sorry. It's like, like I I didn't show that episode to my son. That's a rough it was one. Too much. And th- there was another episode later on where there was another monster who was another like uh, oh, this is a fifty thousand year old creature, and what are we doing to it? And so it dies hard and sad and oh that I must be to, gomorrah uh yes yeah gomorrah did nothing wrong uh, i had to have a, a discussion with him about like you know it's like yes that was and to put this in quotes the bad guy but it, it, it's still sad when bad guys die sometimes and we we had to have that morality discussion. oh yeah well it's like and that movie that, that episode like we'll get to ultra we'll get to ultra sorry, sorry I'm, we'll I'm get to the, into the Ultraman. no it's okay we'll get to the sheer brutality of Ultraman. but ultra q i feel like is a little more of a sensitive series because not all the monsters are inherently evil or have to inherently be destroyed which is that's good to hear because yeah. that was something that frustrated me about Ultraman. Is there were occasional times where I was like, why, why, why can't it live? And we put it on an island or something. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm going through the book here, and I'm just, you know, I don't have time to go through every single episode, but some real standouts. Like, of course, there's the first episode, which is defeat Gomez, which is actually does have a Godzilla suit in it. It's actually Godzilla. Okay, it's, he's dressed up differently though. Instead of just putting a frill on him, they actually made him into a different monster. They put a horn on his head. They put fur. Oh. They actually made him partially mammalian, which was really That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, 
and he fights this flying bird creature named Litra, and it's really just a compressed Godzilla movie. It's just a monster versus a monster. People are running from the monsters and stuff. There's a mystery to solve. And then as the series goes on, you start getting weirder and weirder. Like, you get to the Mammoth Flower, which is just about a giant flower that appears in the middle of Tokyo for no reason. Um, you get to uh, Grow Up Little Turtle, which was about a little boy who has a pet turtle. And uh, then uh, one day his turtle grows giant and he gets on its back and then they fly off to uh, uh, to the castle under the sea where Otohime lives. That's the ending. You made me watch the Rold series first. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I, you're, you're going to have a lot of fun with this. Um, there's, uh, oh, this is one of this, this title's Cracker Jack. The Terror of Sweet Honey. <laughs> it's because there's a giant mole monster named Mongula who's appearing and trying to eat the honey made by these super bees. <laughs> I like that you just throw in super bees there. Well, well you I know think that's that's not a thing. Uh, to a good one for Halloween time, even though we're after it's post Halloween time now, is Baron Spider. It's always a good time for Halloween time. Episode nine, Baron Spider. It's about it's an old dark house episode. It's it's essentially okay, an old dark house, house movie. It's a haunted house movie, but there's just this giant fucking spider that lives in this house, and they're talking about like, was this the original owner of the house? Did he turn into a spider? Like, oh my god, it's really crazy. Okay, this sounds really cool. The Underground Super Express goes west. <laughs> That's the one about the super train. That one is about this artificial life form that takes over this train because the train is is controlled by this artificial brain computer. Computers. Yeah. Well, somehow it turns into a monkey. <laughs> um, so, so they're not necessarily giant monsters the way they are in Ultraman. Always. Oh no, no, no! And 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 a lot of them have a real child logic to them. Like some of them are a little more thoughtful and a little more mature, and others really are like a fairy tale. Like um, one of the most famous monsters from this series is Kanagon, and Kanagon is a monster with a coin purse for a head. I've seen it. Yeah, okay. okay. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, that episode is just this weird parable about a little boy who's too greedy and he turns into Kanagon. And okay. he has to eat coins or else he'll die. It's it's crazy stuff. Okay, wow. Th- th- this is not at all what I expected Ultra Key to be about. I'm really I'm glad I'm doing this before I watch it because now I can... I, I'm going to have a very different approach to it. I was going to go into this thinking it was Science Patrol without Ultraman. Oh, no, no, no. So. If you want Science Patrol about without Ultraman, play the Earth Defense Force games. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's basically what that is. Um, yeah, but I could keep going. Like, I mean, a lot of these characters, a lot of these monsters then start appearing in Ultraman, but they're not the same monsters. It's almost like actors. Like, Garamon is a monster that shows up in Ultraman, uh, in, in uh, uh, Ultra Q. He then later appears as Pigmon. Okay. Except yeah, Pigmon is really small up. and cute. Garamon is a giant city destroying android. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Pigmon is the only friendly monster, I think, in Ultraman. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's some monsters that are like, again, they're not evil. It's just, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm looking through this and I'm just like, oh man, there's so many great, uh, so many great moments in this. I could go on and on, but you know what? We're going to put a pin in Ultra Q, and then let's talk about Ultraman. Woot woot. Yeah. So yeah, like like I said, I, I'm new to Ultraman. I've been into the genre for a while, and I, I went into Ultraman with kind of the proper expectations. I, I basically imagined it as a Super Sentai show, uh, but 
I knew about the time limit, so I was a little intrigued to see what the differences would be. Uh, Ultraman ends up feeling to me like X-Files mixed with a Sentai show. Because uh, it's very much the Science Patrol going out solving mysteries, fighting monsters, which, surprisingly, for a Japanese production, they actually have a chance. Like, like they, they put up a decent fight against the giant monsters a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. Well, the show which, really is about the Science Patrol. And it, 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 it kept... Every time they would like bust one of the monster's eyes or legitimately do damage, you would mm-hmm. always be like, "Wow, oh, cool!" I'm so used to Godzilla, where the military is totally useless. useless. Yep. Um, and then Ultraman shows up at the end, uh, which so I I can't get past it. The big negative with Ultraman is the fact that every single episode structurally is the exact same thing, mm. like. <clears throat> you you have the build-up, you have the introduction of the monster, it wreaks havoc, there's some variations. Ultraman shows up at five minutes before the episode ends, stops the monster with one exception, you know? Right. Uh, which is the two-parter. Right. The- and, Go ahead. And, uh, like, there's that, and the, the effects work is both very creative, but also, like I said, very... Uh, early Doctor Who. Very rough. Very really rough around cheap. the edges. But, like, for the most part, they're able to put a lot of creativity into the monsters, and it doesn't hit too hard. There is one notable exception, uh, which is a monster suit they use about three, maybe four times. Mm, yeah, um, that's probably Baragon uh, suit. It, it's, it is not. Oh. It is, the well, at least to my knowledge, maybe. It's the one they use in the Pearl episode you mentioned. Oh, Gamma uh, Kujira. Yeah, and so it's... Is that one the one they keep using? So maybe, maybe not. But it's this like that four-legged monster. It's this four-legged monster, but it's basically just a bag. It's very baggy, arms. yeah. And so it feels like what they did is they just painted some decals on it, and that was this monster. And then it shows up in the one where the kids uh, are. If they draw a monster, it comes to life. Oh yeah, and, and like it shows up two or three times. I hated. That monster design. It really oh, aggravated that big, me. big, goofy-looking one. Because oh, it was just really weird. And uh, the only other thing that ever bothered me was the actual Ultra suit. In the first, like, 15 episodes of the show, it's it, it's clearly they built it on a rush. The face is a little uneven. You can see yeah. the eye holes. But inexplicably... I'm the eye hole, man! <laughs> uh, halfway through the show, they redesigned the Ultra suit. And it, it gets it real is, clean. It's night and day difference. Oh, yeah. And like from that point on, I was totally into it. There were no effects that ever made me go, ew, after that. Yeah, well, it, it was all just the charm of the show itself. They might have gotten a uh, influx of budget at that point and That's maybe been like, like, let's redo this. Let's redo how we're doing this. That's totally understandable. I'm... I've come around to really appreciating, like we talked about, that handmade quality of the original and that that roughness. Because for me, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's how they did that. And it's oh, like, yeah. this is how they did this and this is how they did that. There's some really amazing uh, blue screening effects in those early episodes uh, in Ultra Q and Ultraman. Really impressive, like... Like, composite shots will really surprise well, they, you. And they do great model work, too. There's a, oh, yeah. there's a ton of that... Um, not Space 1999, but Thunderbirds. Uh, yeah, old like Jerry Anderson quality to it, and yeah. They do, 
they do a really good job of doing that with the spaceships and the submarines and there's a drill tank that's really cool. Yeah, I love all the... adored the drill tank. I love all the uh, devices and stuff, which is something that, unfortunately, they don't do a whole lot of in modern Ultraman. I think it's because of budget constraints, because at its its peak in the 90s, uh, when I think when they had the biggest budgets they had ever had, there's a series called Ultraman Gaia, where... Again, it was like peak, and they had they had all this money to throw around. They had the science their version of science patrol, which is XIG or something like that. It was multiple tiers of response, oh. and they had like they had a there was a cast that was just in the hangar that just maintained the ships. There was a cast that was just in the comm room. There was a cast that just piloted ships. There was an entire other organization that was like a, a, trying to find psychics or something. It was a, and and it and there were so many different weapons and so many different vehicles, and you compare that now to where in the current series Ultraman Taiga, the equivalent of the Science Patrol, it's called Aegis. It's a private security firm, and they don't even have. Ships. Weapons or vehicles. They're, again, they're private security. They don't, f- they, they are, actually, they're alien investigators as well. Like, they're sometimes hired by aliens who are seeking refuge on Earth to protect them from other aliens. Which oh, that's is a, weird. It's that's an interesting cool. spin. But again, the it shows the budget uh, a little bit. Now, that's not to say they haven't done Science patrol stuff recently. Uh, Ultraman X is my personal favorite of the recent shows. Uh, that one has, like... It's like a Honda or something that then goes inside <laughs> of a sh- of a, of a uh, it goes inside of a ship and then flies off and now it's CGI. Uh, so there's a bunch of fun stuff with that. But anyway, yeah, you were saying. So yeah, so uh, like, so it has this very homegrown feel to it. Uh, the characters I actually ended up digging quite a bit. I mm. mean, I was thinking I was explaining this to you off mic. They're not so much of characters as they right. are like, like it's just. Archetypes. Uh, this is the girl, and right. this is the leader. Uh, the guy I ended up enjoying the most is actually the sexist douchebag, because he's also <laughs> kind of a coward, and he's also the inventor. Yeah, and yeah. He, he ended up, by the end of the show, being the most complex and interesting character in the show somehow. He, he has the most moral quandaries with what's yeah. going on, which is really fascinating. And like, like He's the one who screws up and tries to fix his, fix his mistakes. Um the only thing that was weird, though, and I talked to you about this before we were recording, is that Ultraman himself, Hayata. Yes, uh, Sumikorobe. He's kind of a non-character. In he this. doesn't have any real defining uh, traits other than being Ultraman. Yeah, like to a point where I felt some semi-racist about it because <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if it was everybody looks alike, but I was like, no, they don't. I can identify who all these characters are. But then there was this random guy who would just suddenly turn into Ultraman. And it <laughs> took me until halfway through before I started going like, oh no, there he is in the background. And he's in the background of that one. And he's flying the ship there. And I started spotting him. But aside from turning into Ultraman, he's just kind of there. I, you often do kind of... Uh, that is a very interesting perspective because as a kid, I was always like... Um, Using the Veda capsule, Hayato becomes Ultraman. And so the name Hayato was so... It was uh, part of the dub. It, it was, was part of it. It was part yeah. of it, exactly. Which, that is something I have to dock some points from both of these releases. Well, specifically Ultraman. I can't really dock points from Ultra Q, but Ultraman, the Blu-ray doesn't have a dub. Yeah, yeah thank you. I wanted to mention that too. Which, 
uh, I, I remember messaging you that as soon as I got it because I legitimately thought they were releasing English and Japanese tracks up until the point that I put the disc in my player mm-hmm. and was like, what the fuck? Where, where's my English dub? I, I want to watch this. Like, I had my son on the couch. I was like, this is great. We're going to watch this. It's going to look prettier than you've ever seen it before. And we sat down and I put the disc. I was like, oh my, I, I guess we're going to go watch my old bootlegs. Um, because, <laughs> Basically, don't throw out your bootlegs yeah. yet, folks. So, but it, it's a shame because it sounds significantly better than the previous versions. It looks gorgeous it's a good they're both these are beautiful transfers yeah ultra q definitely takes the cake because well a it was shot on 35 millimeter and b it was just really cleaned up and they did a really nice transfer now ultraman it was shot on 16 millimeter but you can get a pretty good transfer out of a 16 millimeter but as i understand it this is actually a very similar transfer to the one that chayo used so it's actually a yeah, I think it looks marginally better, but it's not as good as it could look. It, it might just be because of uh, having degradation much... over time that it's like, oh, compared to what those bootlegs look like now, this looks fascinating. But like, it looked phenomenally better. Well, and that's what matters. I, I, I think it looks. I think it looks fine either way. Um, I was gonna make a point about something, and I completely lost it. Um, oh well. But you go ahead. That's um. Yeah, the, the only other thing, uh, and this is something that I kind of glommed. Oh, okay, now I know. I know where I wanted to go to. Okay, okay. Uh, the we talking about the dubs. About this formula. Uh-huh. Oh, the, 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 the actual the, structure of yeah, the yeah. show. So all the episodes boil down into basically like three different kinds of episodes. Mm. So, so there's the ones where the monsters just kind of appear. Right. Like, just randomly, boom, monster attacks. There's, there's no backstory. It's just there. Uh, there's ones that start diving into who these characters are. Like, the Pearl episode, for all that it is based on a sexist concept, uh-huh. it's still... You spend a lot of time with those characters I outside am. of the Science Patrol. So... I really didn't like the monster, but I love the episode. <laughs> and then the ones that were my favorites, where they would establish who the antagonist is like it would be an alien force coming in to invade or the one with the Godzilla suit that is the doctor who's obsessed with uh, dinosaurs no god that's so, so like, they, they would spend a lot of time uh, actually establishing the antagonist and build up to the to the fight which I love those ones for all that the suit is kind of weird there's an episode where uh, a starfish shows up it's it's two people in, oh Pestar in, yeah, yeah Pestar which it's two people in sacks that are it's uh, it's legs uh-huh. and then they're like holding this head which it it kind of works it's it's <laughs> it's really charming that they thought to do that but they spend so much time building out the world some additional characters that's where uh, the guy who I call the sexist inventor um, where he makes a screw up yeah and, like you learn the most about him that's when he became my favorite character on the show yep the the oh yeah like that our second to favorite find I like the, the lady more. characters here they are uh so uh, there was Shin Hayata, who was Ultraman. He's uh, Susuma Kurobe. Kurobe, um, he still comes back and he still plays the same character on, on occasion in like cameos and stuff. Um, he was um, he popped up in a couple of 
a couple of Godzilla movies. Uh, the one I can think of off the top of my head is I think he's in both Destroy All Monsters and Gator Three Headed Monster. Usually playing henchmen, he actually plays a villain really well. Um, there's Akiko Fuji, who is Roko Sakurai. Who, interesting side note, one of the main directors of the or at least one of the recurring directors of the series is this uh, director named Akio Jisoji. Okay, and Jisoji is a legendary director in Japan because he. Every time, okay, I'm trying to think of an episode example. Do you remember the Telazdon one about the underground people who sent the giant creature up into the city to yes. destroy it at night? Of course. Yeah. So that episode is directed by Akio Jisoji. And you can tell because it's a lot of wide shots and a lot of close-ups. Whenever there's a lot of intense close-ups and weird compositions, that's usually Jisoji. That might have been what the barrier was then because... It, it, it might have been just that I was appreciating the ones that had the more seasoned director working on it, so the quality was better in the storytelling. Yeah, Jisoji just is an incredible director, and he direct, he kept on directing Ultraman stuff for years. Uh, I don't know when he passed away, but interesting side note, Arrow Video put out three of his movies on Blu-ray. Uh, they're the Buddhist trilogy, and the, and Hiroko Sakurai, Fuji, the girl, she's in one of them. Uh, oh. And uh, I think she gets her tits out. Um, it's a... <laughs> I, I <laughs> well, they're they're basically. I mean, th- I'm not gonna. That's not why I'm gonna check them out, but that does help. Cause they, she's pretty. <laughs> well, they're very, uh, they're very rough movies. Like they are Japanese indie flicks. Like, Jisoji was a very interesting director, and these are apparently very highly regarded films. No monsters, unfortunately, yeah. but you know, we'll, we won't hold that against them. Um. Arashi was the tougher, uh, pudgier guy who was the, um, he was the, he was like the, the marksman. So Arashi was the guy who in an American TV show, he would have been the main character to me because he was the one who was most often, there's a monster I'm going to go after. He was the front man. He was on the front lines. And then, uh, it was, uh, Ide who in the dub is Ipe or something like that. Uh, Ide was the inventor. And uh, uh, and then there was uh, Captain Muramatsu, who's the, the no-nonsense captain. He's like the dad of the group. Yes. Um, the captain often plays a very dad-like role in these shows. And it, and it, and it actually varies depending on commander. Um, one of my favorites is... Uh, um, Oh, I can't remember his name, but he was the commander from Ultraman Mabius, and he's very much kind of the gentle hand dad, as opposed to uh, Captain Muramatsu, who was a little more firm and a little more... It it was... He was a military commander. This... Mm -hmm. They did a good job of very much making this feel like an official government organization Mm -hmm. that had a true hierarchy. And then there was the child. Yes. (laughs) Hoshino, who for some reason kept being thrown into high-stakes military situations. It's funny, I didn't even... When I was looking at the character guide, I was like, oh, that's right. He was like a member of the Science Patrol. He wasn't just a random kid who showed up. They put gave, put him in a suit. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a weird show. Um, do you have any... I mean, I don't want to uh, like, take it over from you. Go I, ahead, I, man. Honestly, I would say this is definitely worth checking out. I, I had a lot of fun with it. It's it's definitely a kid's show. Like, yes. Like, like, that's the thing. Like I was watching... Because I was having to power through this, this turned from my son and I watching it whenever I could to, no, no, we're watching three Ultraman <laughs> um, nice. And so my wife and our au pair had to watch some, and my wife was, she's 
already kind of become acclimated to the fact that I geek out about stuff like this. It's just uh-huh. like, fine, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to like do work. But my sure. old pair was just, ugh, boy shows. Oh, <laughs> womp But yeah, so but beyond that, they do a really good job of having a diverse cast of creatures. The There's an episode where they flash back to, or not flashback, but they have a 7,000-year-old human that they revive. And, and it's yeah. like this weird ape wolf man. Like, yeah. Like, the, just, just, you have to get past the fact that the suits look wonky. But it is such a interesting and cool episode, the way they handle the monster and the effects. And because it's a Japanese show, yes, there's an occasional, some pretty extreme gore with the monsters. Yeah. They also... Like, the monsters actually kill people. And there'll be times where, like, someone will turn and zap a guy, uh, and he's dead. And it's just kind of, oh. Oh, oh they sh- just killed shit. that guy. That's right. The, this has stakes. I have to I have to tell you real quick about a very interesting experience I had. So, before I watched this Blu-ray set, because I, po- I poked around in this one a little bit. Um, one of my personal favorite episodes is uh, the one with... Um, uh, no, it's not Zambalar. It's the... Uh, it's a fire monster that can set stuff on fire just by looking at it. Um, and we're both scouring our guides right now. Um, <laughs> where is it? It's, uh, uh, no, that's not it. Uh, 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 he's a, his name is like Firemons or something. He's a later episode. Are you um, sure you're not talking about the, the starfish that, no, he shoots No, fire. it's not Pestar. It, I would remember Pestar. It's a later one, and it's not Don't Shoot Arashi, it's not Forbidden... Where There it is. It's Endless Counterattack, episode 32. Zumbalar. Oh, it is Zumbalar. Okay. okay. Um, so, uh, one of the reasons why I like that episode is because um, they have this young actress uh, <coughs> that I was just struck and immediately by how beautiful she was. And she's a young... Uh, was a young actress in Japan at the time. She's... um part Japanese, part Indian. And so, and she's playing a character from I know, India. I know who you're talking about now. God, and she's just strikingly, you're just like, whoa. Like, I don't know. And I just felt like that's worth mentioning. Oh. I just can't remember what the young actress's name the, the is. The other thing I wanted to call out, this was, this was something I didn't expect, is that the, the effects of the stunt work beyond the giant monster stuff is actually surprisingly... Surprisingly intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene partway through, uh, like one of the early episodes, where uh, some evil vines wrap up uh, the main some of the main characters, and another one runs up with their oddly named spider gun. Yeah, and he it like shoots a flamethrower out. Like like this is a really intense burst of fire, uh-huh. and he's doing it like three feet away from the actor Ooh. to the point where I was. It it took me a second to be like, I'm kind of afraid that that actor's going to get hurt in this production. And it it added an interesting bit of a threat throughout the show. Every time they pulled that that tool out, I was like, holy shit, they're going to like burn someone to death. Oh, no. (laughs) It's really interesting to to hear like some of the behind the scenes stories from some of these. I mean, to my understanding, I don't think anybody got hurt on this set other than probably the suit actors. But um, the, um, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was... I remember I recently burned through like I I I I actually had not watched all of Ultraman until fairly recently. I've seen a lot of the other series, but I hadn't watched the original Ultraman end to end. Like I'd seen the first couple episodes and a few two episodes in between that, and then I saw the ending and that was it. Um, 
so I sat down and I actually like fairly recently, but I was watching the dubs so I could work at the same time. Sure. Unfortunately, I did <laughs> exactly. But the but the version of the the those Chio releases from Shout Factory. They have incomplete dubs because they didn't have access to the original archives that um, have the episodes completely dubbed. They only had access to the dubs from the broadcast version. So stuff was cut out. So every now and then, partway through an episode, it'll just switch to Japanese. (laughs) Uh, So you know what I'm talking about. Well, apparently those full dubs do exist somewhere, but... Um, the people who actually have them were not, I don't think they're on archive at Superaya. I think they're somewhere else and that company just couldn't find them. Oh. So that's such a shame. I yeah, know. I'm hoping that, uh, cause since Mill Creek has said from all indications, please correct me if I'm wrong. They're doing everything. They're doing everything. I think there's a couple of series they're not doing, but all the main Ultra series they're doing. Okay. So, like, I'm, I'm hoping that as we start getting further into this, or maybe with their alternate modern-day ones versus the older original seven, uh, that they do start including that dubs. Because, like, again, I, I the 20-year-old Aaron, who was an elitist prick, was <laughs> like, no, it was dead in Japanese. You watch it in its original format. Right. And now that I'm an adult in my 30s, I go, you know what? I do appreciate that. I prefer it. But there are times when I want to do something else. I want to be with my kid. I want to do this. Sure. I want the English tracks. It it helps. Of course. And and that's something that I've we talked about on Godzilla at length. But I just remembered when watching... The dub. I got to an episode that was. I gotta pull my thing again. Uh, the uh, fine. Use your diseased copy. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, it was the episode with with Wu, the uh, the the snow monster. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, which? Uh, oh, who cares? Oh, wait. I just turned to it. Literally, episode thirty, Phantom <laughs> of the Snow Mountains. Um, that episode is so interesting just take it uh that episode is so interesting because in the it so the japanese version had some the the american version had some stuff cut out of the japanese version and the japanese version uh, let's just say it ends differently because there's the girl who's bonded to the snow monster to ooh and in the uh in the japanese version she just dies in a snowdrift because the villagers are all blaming her for the monster. So they chase her out into the snow. She gets lost in a blizzard and just dies. What? That's how Sorry. that ends. This is one of the ones I watched in the dub version. Uh huh. Because then, then it, it cuts to the dub, and and so this Japanese scene was cut from the American version. But then it switches over to the dub mid episode, towards the end, and the characters are all like. I wonder whatever happened to that girl. Well, she must be living out in the mountains peacefully and with her animal friends. And I'm just like, ah, it's so rough. My dub didn't have that clip from the Japanese version. Interesting. Most of it, it did do the flip flop. Usually, it would be the front end, the the explanations that right. they, they would have like a little, like a little uh, bit of a, a yeah, expository in Japanese yeah. that was explaining the situation. But yeah, I didn't have that. She just. Must have been okay. <laughs> she's must be fine. Nope, she's dead. Shit. She's dead in a snowdrift. Uh, and I don't know. I just feel like that was a uh, uh, that speaks a lot to the standards of Japanese television. But uh, anyway, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, honestly, I, I can't wait uh, to get the next couple of series. I've already pre-ordered them, uh, so I'm intrigued with Ultra Seven. Yeah, it, Ultra uh, Seven. It really mixes up the formula. Uh, it, it seems that. 
exactly that. It, them going, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna do this a little bit better, do this a little bit differently, and so I, I'm intrigued. I'm excited. That and the new the newer series where. Mm-hmm. A little bit bigger budget, and I'm assuming more of somewhat of a through line of the story. I would say that, especially recently, starting really with Ultraman Orb, and then going into... Between Orb, Jeed, uh, RB, and now Taiga, they really, like, tried to make these bingeable. Like, make them like, oh no, this episode leads into this episode leads into this episode. Which, this means that now I can join all the people on the Ultraman Reddit and get into an (laughs) argument about, no, 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 let me explain how the timeline actually lines up in the 15 different multiverses. Here's what you don't understand about Orb's unrequited love with Juggler, Juggler, who was the villain in that series. Yes, that's his name. Uh, (laughs) He's an evil, sword-wielding... Juggler? Does he juggle? No, he doesn't juggle, <laughs> which is a, really disappointing. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I'm I'm really happy that these uh, discs have been released. I'm I thought I would be dead before I saw this much kaiju content well, in the world. The, we talked about that in the Godzilla thing, and like, even though ultimately I have some issues with Ultraman as a show, it's still I, I go back to the. I, yeah, I never thought these would exist. These are just something that I would always know of and I would kind of tertiarily be aware of. Maybe I would buy an illegal copy, but like I would never get legitimate versions. And I, I'm i so happy for my son and my daughter because she has no chance to not be a fan of um, <laughs> Because like, I, they're not going to experience that. We've spent the last 30 years of our lives trying to collect this stuff, and now that it's available, it's like, no, they're always just going to have this ready for them. And it, so I love that idea. It's really gratifying. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just thrilled that Ultraman is like, I often describe Ultraman as like the speed racer of Japanese franchises, like superhero franchises, because it's this thing that people didn't really appreciate and haven't really been able to appreciate for a long time. But once you get into it, you're into it and you're like, Oh my God, I get it now. But, uh, that's a, there's like a cult of speed racer. Did you know that? I, I like, did not. From the uh, from the from the Wachowski movie. Oh, oh, actually, the specific Wachowski film. Yeah, the Wachowski film was my favorite movie that year. I adore Speed Racer. I love I loved it when it came out, and everyone kind of poo pooed it. And now there's like this cult that sort of sprung up around it, where it's like, no, you don't understand. It's a beautiful film about the human condition. The, the, there are three <laughs> specific minutes I would cut out of that movie, mm-hmm. but aside from that, uh, I love it enough, and my wife lo- loves to laugh at me over this. I, <laughs> I watched that movie relatively recently, and I started crying about 15 minutes into it, just like a little bit, and I didn't stop crying the whole way. Oh my <laughs> like, god. I was just like, this is just so beautiful. I've definitely had <laughs> Ultraman episodes like that, where I'm just like, I didn't come here to feel things! But yeah, uh, well, I'll give Ultra Q... Shit, I'm probably gonna give Ultra Q specifically this release, like a 9.5 out of 10, uh weird monsters with eye stalks, because right. it's just so... Um, it's such a great transfer. It's a classic series. There was a dub produced for it, but all evidence points to it just being lost to time. Like, I have no idea. Nobody really knows where that dub is. So, it, it's... But it is a classic, and it's definitely worth picking up, but... Uh, for Ultraman proper, I'm gonna probably get lambasted for this, but... Give it a six and a half out of ten obvious mm. eye holes. If only because... Obvious eye holes. <laughs> like, part of it's the dub, but also the fact that 
since the show is so obscenely formulaic, mm-hmm. it's something that's going to be a lot more niche. If you're into Ultraman, you're going to love it and you're going to appreciate it. But for someone who is uh, who hasn't experienced it yet, it, it could potentially be a, a rough road because you got to be able to go with that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the that's the mission statement for the kaiju genre as a whole. You just got to go with yeah. it. You got to don't think too hard about it. You plebeians. 